This is the intersection. The intersection. This is the Intersection Podcast, recorded Saturday, the 8th of September, 2018. Episode 36, Just Shooting the Breeze. The Intersection Podcast is only made possible through the support of its listeners and sponsors. If you have a product or service that you feel may appeal to our audience, please contact sponsor at intersectioncast.com. Hello and welcome to The Intersection, the podcast that bridges together the worlds of tech and pop culture. And first of all, welcome back. Uh, we've, we've been off for a couple of months on our, uh, on our summer break, um, but we're hopefully back. We've got lots to talk about. There's lots that's happened uh, since our last episode. So I'm bringing back to the podcast our resident film aficionado, Bronson Green. Bronson, how are you doing? How's been summer? It's been great, thank you. Yeah, glad to be back. Um, nice to have a break of sorts. Certainly haven't, uh, I believe, a podcast in a, in a little while, so it'll be there'll be a lot of uh, ground to cover today, I'm sure. But uh, yeah, batteries recharged and ready to go. Absolutely, that's great to hear. Um, and that's the theme. Of, that's the theme of today's episode. I think we're just going to cover what's happened during the summer. Uh, there's been a few, been a few announcements uh, worthy of a conversation um we've had a good summer we've had good weather we had a good world cup but we won't be talking about those things but um yeah yeah just lots just lots really uh to uh to bring to the podcast and i think um the most noteworthy or certainly for me of all the uh all the announcements all the news that sort of broke over the summer was the one that broke uh, in early august at um the uh there was a star trek convention or something that was being held um and um, surprise uh, guest uh, was, was was called to the stage. That was uh, Patrick Stewart. And he announced what was rumoured for a long time, I think, uh, that uh, Jean-Luc Picard will be, uh, will be, will be returning. Yes, uh, that, that took us both by surprise, I think, and, and probably a lot of other people as well. And um, my initial reaction to that was one of elation. Um not only because he's a beloved character and we're big fans of next gen, but also because it, it finally forces Star Trek to move forwards because naturally old man Picard, it's going to be set sort of after the other movies that have gone so far. So they won't be jumping back the discovery. And I know certainly must some lots were, frustrated about that um but in subsequent weeks and months actually just finding out more rumors really about what we might be doing with that tv show um some of my enthusiasm has been sort of tempered quite significantly but what what, what what's your um like i said i think your reaction was similar to mind Jonathan so but where are your thoughts on it right now well um I mean I I 
suspected something was happening. And I'll tell you why. Because prior to this announcement, Patrick Stewart was... Um, I mean, I don't follow him. Well, I do now on Twitter. But before, I wasn't following him. But he was uh, making a few sort of cryptic tweets um, saying along the lines of he's, he, he's going to have to... Uh, pay more close attention to Star Trek Discoveries, not watch any of the episodes and hint, hint, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And I thought maybe that's maybe that's because of um, uh, Jonathan Frakes' involvement with Discovery, directing a couple of episodes. He'll be directed a lot more uh, with the next um, the next uh, uh, season. But no, it, it sounded it was more there was more to it than that. And and lo and behold, um, um, there there uh, there is there was a deal. I mean this this Picard show. Um, will be will be done uh, by CBS as part of their um their their streaming service, much much like uh, Star Trek Discovery. I think it's CBS All Access. Um, but there were rumours going around that they were trying to seal a deal with uh, Patrick Stewart about some sort of Picard-centric show, and something was holding it up. They weren't ready to announce it yet. I think there were rumours about he was asking for you know mil per episode um and, and and that you know it was being held back but then we got the, but the actual uh, announcement itself came out of the blue um at this convention and so i suspect it would have been announced on something probably like comic con or something like that sort of a more grander stage more of a worldwide state more universal stage so to speak rather than a star trek specific um um um, um arena so obviously there were there were deals being made behind the scenes, but it's great that it's worked out. It's great that this, you know, it took us by surprise to hear him say it, to have him on the stage meant so much. And, you know, he was quite emotional about it, um, which is good because it sounds to me great. I mean, all these rumors about he was asking for lots of money. It sounds like he is actually invested in this and it's not just going to be a payday for him. And I hope it's not just going to be a payday for him. But um it's great to see Jean-Luc Picard back on, the, on on screens. Like I said, before I was worried about, oh, he's going to be on Discovery somehow. There'll be some sort of time traveling shenanigans. And oh, gosh, don't do that. But this is a dedicated show focusing around uh, around Picard. Um, the next stage of his life, as they say, um, is it going to be uh, Admiral Picard? I don't know. So we won't, might not necessarily see him on a starship. So we might not get that next next generation that we all want. We're not going to get that. Although there might be things going on. This is the thing. They're going to have to expand expand um, Star Trek somehow because there will be things going on behind the scenes. If Even if it's like a heavy character piece about Picard, there's, it's going to be, you know... It, in 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 a in a post next generation future, so we're going to have to see some things, surely. Um, yeah, I I can't see them not setting the series in space. I mean, you've got to see Picard's um, space fearing shenanigans, you know, as an admiral or something similar. I mean, I, I don't think we're going to see him on Picard Farm drinking wine um, and being called out of retirement or something. I, I don't think we'll see that. Um, I don't think there's a lot for him to do on that farm anyway. His, his family's um, no longer around. I think his, his nephew and his brother were killed, weren't they? Uh, if I remember correctly from the movie Generations. Um, they, they gave us a rough idea about the time period. They said it's going to be um, 20 years or so after the, um, what was the last Next Generation movie. Was it Nemesis? It was Nemesis, wasn't it? Nemesis, yeah. Yeah, it's about 20 years after that. So he, he should still be active in... Starfleet somehow. I, 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 
thought so because that character he's always kind of been married to his work hasn't yeah. he yeah and they, they've made a point of that haven't they and um in fact sort of has had parallels for for a while didn't it with patrick stewart's real life which which he's talked about quite emotionally in interviews um but no the reason why a lot of my enthusiasm was tempered is because uh, um you know I've watched a couple of videos on this YouTube channel recently. I don't know if it's a channel that you're familiar with. It's called Midnight's Edge. No. And um, yeah, these days, you, as 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 we know, you can't really go to the mainstream media for your for the truth. Um, if you want any accurate version of the truth these days, you have to go to podcasts or or kind of subculture sort of channels or, or YouTube channels. And um, this channel, Midnight's Edge, is, is pretty good. I'd recommend it. And what they do is they talk about the kind of um, politics and the economic and, uh, decisions made in Hollywood. And they're talking about big battles that have been going on recently between um, CBS and Paramount. I think this kind of um, split with Star Trek, as in Paramount, I think, owns the rights to the movies and CBS uh, TV owns the rights to the TV shows. And even though... <clears throat> Paramount had made a lot of money through the J.J. Abrams reboots. Um, the merchandise, the ancillary sort of um, um, revenue streams from Star Trek, they were still much, much heavier, heavier and much more successful for CBS rather than for Paramount. Hmm. And um, so, so, for example, um, adult collectibles featuring next generation characters were still far more lucrative than any adult collectibles related to the the, re, the star trek reboot yeah yeah so i i I've heard that um they, they're basically trying to i think this might be paramount they might be just trying to stamp out the old timeline once and for all and consolidate everything into a new one and i, I heard a nasty rumor that the new Picard series might be set in the J.J. Abrams universe. That's the that's called the Kelvin universe, right? I, I believe so. And that, I'm, I'm just a little concerned what you said. Stamp out the old timeline. I mean... Yeah, that, they, they're trying to draw a line underneath um, Voyager, Deep Space Nine, Star Trek, the original series, Enterprise, all that stuff. Everything up to Enterprise. They're trying to draw a line under that once and for all. And they're trying to set all new Star Trek in the Kelvin timeline, I, I believe right. there are people that there are powerful people who are trying to make that happen, and and their sort of objective might be to set God series in the Chris Pine Zachary Kinto um, timeline. Right? Well, that, I've, I got heard... prob- I've got a problem with that because Star Trek Discovery. So you're telling me your impressions of Discovery it's set in the JJ verse because I, I I wasn't I didn't get that impression at all. Well, I think they've left that kind of ambiguous and rather than trying to use any kind of pseudoscience in any kind of realistic way they're just trying to use different dimensions and different timelines now as a device to stamp out parts of star trek that they no longer want to serve as corporations right Uh, Right. these are the rooms i've heard So, so there are there are executives out there who are trying to do this and if this is true, it kind of completely pours cold water over any enthusiasm that I had for the Picard series. I hope the rumours, um, even if the rumours are true, I hope that those people with that agenda are not successful. And I hope that 
they keep going with the timeline that we really love and respect. And that's the timeline from the 60s right through to sort of Enterprise, even though I wasn't a fan of that TV series. Well, I call it the official Star Trek. Everything else seems like a bit of an imitation, a bit of a, you know, let's just reboot it for the sake of it. You know, the the, uh, authentic Star Trek, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. And I think most Star Trek fans are of that mind, aren't they? Because that would explain why merchandise featuring, you know, the next-gen characters and Voyager and stuff, that merchandise still heavily, heavily outsells anything related to Star Trek, Star Trek in the Darkness, Star Trek Beyond. Um, because let's face it, that that, that was a complete folly. Um, but anyway, we've, we've talked about that in the past. So I, I just hope when this Picard series comes along, it does have more in common with the, with the sort of prime timeline as opposed to Kelvin timeline. I've got that right. I haven't mixed them up, have I? The, the original... The original is a prime, we, isn't it? That's what I thought. Right. Okay. Yeah. I was trying to make sure I hadn't mixed those up. Well, it's all ridiculous. But yeah, I think the original is referred to as Prime. Um, and it's interesting because I, I, I would have thought, I mean, I'm like I said, we've both said it. We're not, we're big fans of Star Trek, but we're not, we're not Trekkies. I mean, we're not that sort of level of hardcore. But those who are heavily invested in Star Trek, um, those who are, I would say, hardcore, have kind of resisted the uh, the J.J. Abrams Trek universe. And so I would say those on the flip side who are invested in the JJ-verse, would they even care about Jean-Luc Picard? It, uh, it, it, doesn't, it strikes me as odd that this series would be made for them. It, 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 it seems like if you're going to bring Picard back, you're going to have to, I mean, you're going to bring back the loyalists, so to speak, and they're going to want to see something that is more true to star trek the next generation or, or you know or star trek the original series because the next generation was certainly respected and acknowledged the original series obviously because you know gene roddenberry was involved in creating both but um this is, this is exactly why me and you had a positive reaction to the news of the picard series but the idea is that the people who have given the green light to the picard series they're thinking about this a little bit like kathleen kennedy would have been thinking about Star Wars, right. where, she, where she would have been like, bring back the Millennium Falcon, bring back Han Solo and Leia and Luke, bring back TIE Fighters, but we're going to follow our own agenda and make something else, which is a complete abomination. The, the rumor is that there are, are executives who are saying, well, bring back the big dog that we can bring back. That's going to get all the Trekkies on side, Picard, Patrick Stewart, uh, but Trek him into the um the jj sort of universe where it's more akin to an adventure rather than a sci-fi um which of course was completely summed up by i think um i don't know if our listeners know i'm sure some of the hardcore star trek fans will know the first star trek film which i think was called star trek beyond and it, and it flopped the one that was written or co-written by simon um, i've not seen it glad to say right well you're not missing anything it's absolutely terrible um but originally, there was a script written by, I think, R- R- Roberto Orki, who, who's quite a famous writer these days in, in Hollywood. I think he, he's worked on Transformers and other And he's a died in the wall Star Trek fan, and he wrote a script, and he was also going to direct it as part three. But it was rejected on the grounds that, and I quote, it was too Star Trek-y. 
Oh my gosh. <laughs> if, if, if these. Too much science. Are... All this science. Oh no. Yeah. Too intellectual. Not going to appeal to um, people who hang out in malls and don't really care about science fiction or whatever. Okay. So um, if those executives who rejected us, they're the ones still calling the shots, then it's possible that this Picard series could be completely um, mishandled. But as you say, Patrick Stewart seemed to have a lot of um, enthusiasm for it, and he was also talking about how they worked very hard to develop storylines that they were going to use as the basis of the episodes. Um, that gives you a little bit of hope, but then again, there have been instances over the last 10, 20 years well, where yeah. that we respect in a light about something, and it still turned out to be rubbish. For example, James Cameron praising the various Terminators that he's not been involved with where he's been praising them and they've turned out to be dogs anyway so um i'm i'm very cautious about whether this is gonna come out good oh dear so yeah you've put a damper on it now but you you do raise some good points um the thing that reassures me a little bit is that patrick stewart has respect for star trek and he has a lot of respect for the fans of star trek and he he is one of those i mean one of his he's he's had several iconic roles in his career but um and i'm not even talking about his shakespearean roots but um one of um his most beloved roles and most famous roles is obviously that of jean-luc picard and he unlike many actors who sort of become known for one particular character he actually is fond of jean-luc picard he likes the character and you could tell with the amount of emotion that he was conveying when he, when he was when he was making when they were making that announcement that um he's very fond of Picard. So I don't think he'd agree to anything lightly. I mean there were the rumors of the payday I've mentioned that, but I don't think he'd agree to anything lightly unless he was assured that they would treat the character and the legacy of you know the next generation, because he was a part of that, with respect. Having said that, he did make it clear that there are no scripts. Um, they're just just sort of throwing storyline ideas, uh, you know, bouncing them against the wall and seeing what's you know what's what. Um, so it's very early days. You could argue that this announcement was made quite prematurely because even I mean that was what early August, right? Where are we now? September. Even let's just say they've they've outlined an entire season of this Picard show, and you know they, they, uh, they've got some treatments uh, ready, etc. To put that into production, it's looking like we we won't see this until what twenty twenty the earliest, and that's the end of twenty twenty, surely. Yeah, but you know what? One of the other things that should set the alarm bells off is this: an announcement like this being made almost as prematurely as it seems to have been made. It's not been made this early for no good reason. Um, usually, when an announcement is made. When positive information is leaked out, it's usually because they need to get the share price up of the corporation that owns the studio or the entity that's producing the, the, of, the IP. Of course. And now, if, if that's the case, apparently Paramount Studios, not the Paramount Studios, is in debt to the tune of several billion dollars, I've heard. And they're struggling to get investment. And I, there was quite a well-publicized bust-up that they had with some Chinese investors 
where I think transfers the last night tagged at the box office and one or two other follies also tagged. I think the, there was a Ben Hur remake Paramount did, which traced that was an expensive flop and one or two others. And the Chinese investors who'd, who'd committed hundreds of millions to Paramount's slate of, of movies pulled out. And Paramount, they're basically desperately going around looking for new money. I would bet the announcement of the Picard series was made to get more investment for their Star Trek projects because Star Trek Discovery, I think season one, was mostly funded by Netflix based on sales. Not in North America because um, Star Trek Discovery was on CBS All Access, but internally it was on Netflix. Right, and we can presume that that would be the approach for this new Picard show. Because, I mean, it's not, that wasn't announced, obviously, but in terms of it being distributed around the world, Netflix will most likely be the platform, right? Um, not, not necessarily, because here's what we're getting at is season two of Discovery has not been mostly funded by Netflix. It is being funded mostly by CBS television and other investors that they've managed to draw in okay and i would i would wager that the picard series um will also be funded by capital investments and and venture capitalists and whatever the, the kind of um funds that invest in in movies basically funds which have money poured into them by individuals of high net worth who look to diversify their portfolios yeah um that's probably what's motivated this so, again, you also need to remember this. As much as Patrick Stewart loves um, Jean-Luc Picard, Mark Hamill loves Luke Skywalker, and he was brought on side first George Lucas to, to, to get him on for the sequel trilogy. Then Lucas sold Lucasfilm to Disney. Disney kept Mark Hamill on side, was happy, and then all of a sudden he turns up on set with scripts that he's not happy with, and he ends up appearing in one film for about one minute and then in a second film which he hated yeah. so he was he was almost ambushed by kathleen kennedy and her suits yeah that could be happening to patrick stewart for all we know mm. thought isn't it yeah it's slightly different i think though i think i think i think the case with mark hamill he 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 committed. I, I suspect he and Carrie Fisher and Harrison Ford, they, they, the only thing that, that convinced them ret to return was George Lucas. Right? It was George Lucas. They, you know the story. They went out to lunch. He said, look, I've written um, treatments for episodes uh, 7, 8, and 9. Uh, I'm looking to retire. Uh, I, I, I want Kathleen Kennedy to take over Lucasfilm, although, you know, I'll still... This is, this is what... Because it's quite clear. Because Mark Hamill said that he, he knows full well what George Lucas had planned for these for these new movies um and i'm going to star wars now i've noticed <laughs> but um uh and it was very different to what what we you know to what we got so i don't think that i think they agreed and in terms of an agreement was made with lucasfilm but when disney took over and you had all of this all all, all of these arguments all the shenanigans that were going on behind the scenes that in terms of what creative direction to take and then they decided to basically you know, tear up George Lucas's treatments and toss them aside and go with their own thing. I, I, I think a commitment was already made at that point, um, and which is why Mark Hamill looks miserable. 
Yeah, but the point I'm making is you can't get too comfortable in the fact that Patrick Stewart um, was but, getting emotional, was talking about the, you know, we're really going to do this right and whatever. In the end of the day, he's also a puppet uh, for the money people. But the difference is they were, they were trying to woo him. That's the thing. The difference is that with Star Wars, they could take it in any direction they want. They can. They've invented their new characters. Ray. Everything's behind Ray. Um, and it's while it makes commercial sense to bring back um, Han, Luke, and Leia, they can still go in their own direction. They're on the rights. But this thing is this entire show centers around Picard and and if you look at the rumors they were spent a long time trying to woo Patrick Stewart get him to return so surely he is in more of a position of strength than let's say Mark Hamill was if it returns I would, say, I would say he is but I would say in the absence of scripts in the absence of probably a clear direction at this point in time they can still get him to sign whatever they want and then he might turn up on the first day of shooting and the script's undergone revisions without his knowledge or whatever. And all of a sudden, like he has to be on when the camera's rolling. I was going to say when the film's running, but it won't be film. I mean, yeah. when, the, when the cap borders start running, he just has to be on to do his job. Because in the end of the day, as powerful as he is, he's also a salary man. He could be ambushed. So I, I'm, I'm not um, going to get too hyped up about it. I'm sure... We'll be happy to see a Picard series. Whether it's up to our expectations or not, I don't know. Um, but for now, I'm just going to say, do you know what? Let's just stay on the happy side of the emotional scale based on the fact that Picard is back and we're moving forwards in Star Trek. And my fingers are crossed. Yeah. I'm not holding my Yeah, absolutely. And 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 just, just, just one more point of caution um we we don't know how long this series is going to last we don't know if this is going to be a full series this is going to be a mini series you know just five episodes with picard sort of um planting the seeds for a um a next generation of star trek which you know that they could i am sure is on their radar i'm sure i'm sure is is on their roadmap i'm i would hope um so we we don't know we were given very little detail at all um but but another announcement that was kind of lost among the noise of, of that Picard announcement was, and I don't know if you're aware of this, this, this series of uh, Star Trek shorts that will be brought to the screen. Much like the shorts that they did with Blade Runner. Do you remember the leading up to Blade Runner 2049? Well, I'm not aware of this. Educate me. What, 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 yeah, that, that? that was another announcement made. They're going to do a bunch of um, Star Trek shorts. Short Treks, they refer to it as. I hope that's not the title because that's terrible um and these are one-off if you think of you know everyone's into this sort of anthology style um, of, of tv much like you know black mirror something like that something that's self-contained so these are one-off episodes um and i think they have announced that there'll be something there'll be one with spock somehow there'll be one with uh the character of saru from discovery um i mean these will be set in different eras, different times, um, but within the Star Trek universe. And that sounds encouraging. I live guess. action or PG? Live action. Okay, all right. This, I like the sound of this. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I mean we, don't know, we don't know much free? more about it, but... Be free on YouTube or on Netflix? And no, CBS. this is part of the CBS uh, All Access thing. Yeah, I like the sound of what they're doing there, but you know what would get me even more excited is if they had turned into a cartoon instead of a comic. The recently announced comic, which is upcoming, Star Trek versus Transformers. 
Have you have you heard of that? Really? Is that that's a thing? Really? I kid you not. So you can Google it if you don't believe me. So what? And and here's the fun thing that they're doing. The way they are rendering the characters, the Star Trek characters are going to be drawn the way they were in the Star Trek the animated series, uh, the the Filmation cartoon. So right. uh, from from the seventies, I think Filmation, who who are most famous for, I think Masters of the Universe. In the seventies, they did the animated series for, for Star Trek, and in this upcoming comic, the um, characters, Kirk, Spock, and the rest of them, they're going to be drawn in that style, and the Transformers are going to be drawn in the style of their cartoon from 1984, which was done by Marvel and Sunbow. Um, and yeah, that's that's going to be a comic. Now, I'm not a big enough comic fan to go out and buy that, but had they turned that into some kind of uh, web series, I would have been all over that. So, um, well, at least they're, uh, they're doing different things with, with, the, with the property with the star trek property so that's good to see well uh, i'm just going over the details of that and um so yeah just just temper your expectations because like i said these are shorts so these are only about 10 and 15 minutes length you know per episode uh much like like i said the blade runner ones and these are i mean they've only committed to four episodes so far so okay. it's an experiment it's it's becoming a trend. I remember they did something similar before Prometheus uh, came out and, and uh, the Alien film after that. So, um, no, listen, more Star Trek is better than less Star Trek. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess they'll be monitoring um, the reaction quite closely to see exactly what people, what, what Star Trek fans, because clearly only Star Trek fans are going to watch these things, right? You know, Joey Punter's not really going to sit down and watch these 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 sort of self-contained Star Trek shorts. So I, I, what, they, what I'm guessing they're going to do is an experiment to see what they can get away with, what's acceptable to the fans, and what direction really is feasible in, in, in taking Star Trek in the future. And I wouldn't be surprised if this leads into Star Trek Discovery, the second um, series, because that in itself, and it's, actually it's a good segue, let's continue talking about that, that in itself um, is... Uh, you know, it's due to hit our screens in at some point in 20, um, 2019, next year. We don't have an actual date yet, but we do have a teaser. Did you catch the Discovery teaser, season series two? Um, I did, yeah, where you see Captain Pike. And yeah, yeah I, I, saw, I saw that. It, it's, um... So let's remind, let's remind our listeners uh, how Discovery uh, ended in, in series one. So basically... Um, um, uh well what happened we we saw the we saw a bit of the cliffhanger we saw um obviously the the pre-kirk enterprise captained by pike captain pike um arrive and that was that really so that that's that's where the direction we're headed into uh series two and apparently they're, they're due to meet their new captain um the discovery that is and that was it i think <laughs> Yeah, um, long time ago. It wasn't. Yeah, it was a long time ago. It wasn't a cliffhanger that left me salivating at the mouth, um, and the, the teaser didn't. It didn't excite me overly. But I, they, they played the old Star Trek theme, didn't they? That's how it ended over the uh, the, the credits. They did, and but that again, that's for me just cynical attempts at pulling on the nostalgia strings. Um, Listen, I'll, I'll watch it. I'm happy it's uh, it's 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 going to be coming that we're going to be getting a second series, and uh, hopefully it will be better, more 
consistent, I would say, than the first series. Um, but it, it does actually amuse me. The, um, I mean, Paramount, they cancelled Star Trek after two seasons, didn't they, back in the 60s? Yep, and they, it was a flop. They, yeah, and they even hesitated to put it into syndication, from what I understand. They relented finally, and obviously they realised it was a big hit because they put it on a put it on in syndication at a much more preferable um, time slot. I think it was around about six six o'clock, so the families could actually sit down and watch it. And then it be, became so big that they, um, they they put their weight behind it again. But if you remember before before Star Trek the motion picture came out, you, you won't remember this in in terms of because we weren't you know adults back then, you know. But um, you might have read about this, where when before the motion picture got the green light in the late 70s, and before that came out, the original plan was that CBS were going to launch a second network on television called CBS2. Okay. And the, flag, the flagship TV show that they were going to launch it with was going to be Star Trek Phase 2. Right, yes, and, of course, yes, I know about that. And they're launching CBS All Access with Star Trek Discovery as the flagship. And it does amuse me with the amount of abuse Star Trek has gone through by executives over the decades. And they still lean on it as a thing to get them out of trouble or, or to, to lead with when yeah. they've got a big big new enterprise, no pun intended, such as a, a streaming service or a new network. So, um, yeah, I mean, it'd be nice if they actually just treated it with a bit more care and consistency. It would, it would. Um, but yep, Star Trek Discovery. It, um, I, I, I think it, it, it was met with a positive response. I mean, they've committed straight away to a second, a second series, and um, it's. It should be in the. In, I was going to say in the can now. It should, but um, you know, obviously the age of videos that's irrelevant. But uh, yeah, it should be, should be full finished now. I mean, the teaser um, showed us. Showed us a lot of uh, Captain Pike. So the rumor is that Pike is actually going to be the captain of the Discovery. Now that is weird because he is also the captain of that Enterprise. I'm not sure how that's going to work. And also it was met with a bit of disappointment because I think um, a lot of people were expecting somehow events would lead into uh, Michael Burnham captain in the, uh, the Discovery. Um, so that's not going to happen, and a lot of people are angry that oh, it's yet again another white man, and you know, blah blah blah. But um, yeah, it looks like Pike is somehow going to captain two ships at the same time, and um, Spock is going to be a big part of season two, i.e., Spock's absence. It's essentially a search for Spock. Well, that's at least that's what I've heard. Have you heard any more about what, what what's going to happen or? No, I haven't because I've I've purposely not looked into it too deeply. Partly because I'm happy for it to be a surprise mm. for me, but also partly because I'm just not jazzed enough about um, Discovery season two. Um, I am very curious to see who plays Spock, um, but let's let's face it that the character of Spock's gone through a lot of abuse as well. I mean, Zachary Kinto was miscast, and to find out that Spock had a half sister or an adopted sister in Michael Burnham at the start of uh, Discovery Season 1. I mean, that in itself was stupid. So um, I just don't lend Discovery enough credibility for me to get too excited about it. Hell, I would have been 
more excited if uh, Pike had turned up in that kind of um, that box thing where he was disabled and having to rely on those lights to communicate. Um, if you remember, that's how he turned up in one of the episodes, didn't he, in the original series? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if he had turned up in Discovery Season 2, captaining the Enterprise in that state, <laughs> that that would have been interesting. Um, that would have been different. But... Um, no, look, I'll watch it, and I'm I'm interested. And it would have been nice if Michael Burnham gets the opportunity to captain the Discovery at some point. That would be appropriate because she is the main character, obviously. Um, but I'm I'm not going to think too much about the permutations and, and whatever. I'm just going to let it happen to me as a viewer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we had. I think we when we 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 were sort of discussing. Um, you know, when Star Trek Discovery itself was announced, then when Star Trek Discovery itself was, you know, was you know for, was first brought to uh, to our screens, brought to the Netflix service, um, we again we we said the same thing. Yeah, let's not expect too much. Let's see where it goes. And I think we enjoyed it. You know, it was a pleasant surprise. So maybe there is a lot in that. You know, let's just a lot of power in that. Let's just reserve you know let's not expect too much calm down their expectations and uh let's see where um the second uh the second season takes us yeah i'm not gonna i'm not gonna get down on it um i'm not gonna be negative and you you hit the nail right on the head there as disappointed as we were with it we were also pleasantly surprised by a lot of it so um and i do you know what i don't mind writers taking risks a lot of the time those they're gonna they're gonna come a cropper with some of those um, ideas, but at least it keeps it kind of fresh. And that's the beauty of something that um, I guess is not for mainstream TV. They've got these uh, these um, these several streaming services, and you can take a lot more risks. I think, um, and it's somewhat a shame that. I mean, it's good that Star Trek is back on TV, but it's kind of not real TV. Do you know what I'm trying to say? It would be nice if Star Trek was back on proper network television, you know, prime time. But TV has changed so much, or the nature of TV, or the nature of us seeking content. Um, Yeah, that's just not going to happen. It's irrelevant, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I don't watch TV anymore. I mean, for example, there's a really funny Halifax Ghostbusters advert on yes. TV at the moment, but I didn't. I haven't even. I hadn't even seen it until earlier this morning, when I happened to be in the room when the TV was on, and I saw it, and I sort of asked my nephew and niece. I said, "Why didn't you tell me about this?" <laughs> I just shrugged their shoulders and walked off. <laughs> And, um, Country guy, I didn't tell you about this because I've seen it as well. Yeah, well, it's been, it's been on TV for a number of weeks, I'm assuming, uh, maybe months, and uh, that's, it's, that's evidential of how little sort of proper TV, if you like, that I watch that I hadn't seen it yet. Well, that's their thing now, isn't it, Halifax? I mean, that's their new the new thing with their adverts. Um, it's a case of um, bringing um, in, in, uh, the, the the Halifax guy, the new Halifax guy, into these scenarios and within classic films i mean did you see the wizard of oz one but then yeah i the wizard of oz one i saw the the scooby-doo one um and yeah happy to see that i mean it wasn't exceptionally witty or funny but it was just nice to see the ghostbusters um 
the, the overriding thought I had after I saw the advert was, wow, how powerful were all those properties created in the 80s that Ghostbusters, Back to the Future, Transformers, whatever, all of that stuff from the 80s, it's still a household name. All of those franchises are still multi-generational household staples. And it just shows you, um, I mean, you get highbrow film critics talk about how American cinema was great in the 70s and took a nosedive in the 80s because it became really mainstream and popular uh, rather than being challenging. But there was a lot of great stuff produced in the 80s. Um, and and there, was, there was actually still risks being taken in the 80s, which you just don't see as much anymore. Um, so that was my overriding thought that I, I saw that advert. And I'm sure the demographic the Halifax are aiming at is people in their 30s and 40s, probably. Um, so, so they thought, let's pick a property that people will remember from their childhood. But at the same time, my nephew and niece, as I say, they were in the room. They know exactly what Ghostbusters is. I'm sure kids at high school now would have seen that advert. They'll know exactly what Ghostbusters is. So, uh, yeah, the power of, uh, of that franchise. And uh, another case, of course, in, in, this, in this case, Sony, where a studio has just completely mishandled it and, and, and sort of uh, dragged it through the dirt with that stupid Ghostbusters film that came out a year or two ago, which, which flopped the... Um, the reboot with the uh, the ladies in it. And, you, you know, uh, listen, I, 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 I'd wipe that from my mind until you've, 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 you've mentioned it again, but yeah, yeah. Can I, can I just say for the record, before people, before the Hollywood PR machine starts beating me over the head with the misogyny uh, club, I'm not saying that film was rubbish and it tanked because it had ladies in it, okay? I'm saying it tanked and it was rubbish because it was poorly written and directed. So, for the record. Mm. Okay. Glad you got that out of the way because that's that uh, that's indeed what they will say. And they they use the same thing with Star Wars. How dare you criticize these new Star Wars movies, you sexist pig, you! But um, yeah, okay. I'm glad about you know speaking. Oh, you, you you've just broken up. I can't hear you now. No, it's all right. Let's just, we'll, 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 we'll jump back in. I think we had a minor technical blip. I won't edit this one out, but that's fine. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think that, that is the way it goes. They, they, they uh, if you dare criticize anything, um, the, uh, the, the PC police come and, 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 and rest you. But there you go. Um, but nonetheless, I'm talking about uh, the power of 80s. Uh, properties and talking about how you know uh, traditional tv is does seem to has lost its relevance and it's all about um original content um let's talk about cobra kai briefly um i think the last time we discussed cobra kai which is and the relevance is it's uh, part of youtube's um premium service um so last time we discussed Cobra Kai, I had watched all of it. I was incredibly impressed. I recommended it to you. You had watched a few episodes and you were impressed. I think now you've seen all of them. What's your verdict? Yeah, I don't think I've mentioned this on a previous podcast. Um, it's been so long. But yeah, I watched the whole lot of them and it's absolutely brilliant. And I was shocked by how good it was and how respectfully the legacy characters were treated and how sensitively and smartly the new characters were brought in and um yeah you're absolutely right they've they're playing in that gray area of who's good and who's bad and we're not sure anymore 
and it's got a, it kind of feels like a movie from the 80s, the, the TV series Cobra Kai, but it also feels modern and hip. And I recommended it to my brother. He actually sat down with, with his wife and his kids, and four of them watched it, and they all really liked it. So it, it seems to have multi generational appeal um, to the point where my nephew and niece, who are teenagers now, they were looking forward to season two. So, yeah, thumbs up to them. Well done. And a real example of how you can reinvigorate and elongate a story, not just a property, but a story. And, and the themes related to that without completely kind of screwing it up the way they've done with Star Wars. I, I know we keep going back to Star Wars. We seem to everything, relate it to Everything it. leads back to Star Wars. All roads lead back to Star Wars yeah. indeed. Um, but it's, it, it's um, relevant that we do that because Star Wars is hands down the biggest um, sort of property in the history of cinema. And the cinema is probably the most powerful medium in the world whether we like it or not and the offshoots from cinema the moving image i'm is what i'm talking about you know so now you can talk about tv and streaming online in that in those terms as well but um yeah uh, well done to to youtube red and well done to the producers who who, who had um, the vision for that and yeah really looking forward to season two um and it's uh what we know about season two is very little um we know we've had a teaser funnily enough from youtube and the teaser doesn't show any new footage or anything like that it it just reminds us of the key moments in uh season one of cobra kai and it again it plays on the um the cliffhanger so to speak the return of uh, john crease and, and that's pretty much it. It'll be on the YouTube Red service at some point in 2019. So it's like to start at Discovery some point next year. We don't know when. Yeah. And, and it pulls off quite a magic trick, that show, where it's got Daniel LaRusso's kids and Johnny's son involved in all the plot twists and turns. And yet when, when the plot twists and turns happen, they don't feel contrived. They feel kind of natural and clever, and you look forward to seeing the cataclysm when things clash. I don't know quite how they've pulled it off, because each episode is only about half an hour, and it would have been so easy for all of that stuff to come off as contrived, but it doesn't. So, yeah, neat magic trick that they've uh, pulled off there. I mean, I, I, the, the brilliant thing about it is I think it, it not only treats um, the property, the Karate Kid with respect, but it treats the audience, it treats the fans with respect. Um, you know, there are even moments, I mean, certainly with the 80s nostalgia and the fact that um, you know, Johnny is him himself sort of stuck in the 80s. That's brilliant. That's a brilliant touch as well. Um, and also, um, I, I, I think um, with the fact that even silly little theories like, you know, the real arsehole from the Karate Kid was actually Daniel, not Johnny. And there's a whole episode, I think, which was retelling the Karate Kid from Johnny's point of view, playing on that sort of theory, which I think started from a couple of YouTube videos. Um, but um, my concern, I think, is actually with um, the return of John Kreese, because... I don't know where it takes it. Does it change the dynamic of the show from being sort of this somewhat petty at times rivalry between Daniel and Johnny? Does it remove, take it away from that to having a 
Daniel and Johnny team up and against John Kreese. I I don't know. I don't know where it's going to go. There's no in this teaser that they gave us. There's no hint of of any. Well, of that. I've got I've got faith in them giving us something we'll be interested in. Um, they've got the one thing they have to do, and I, I'm sure they will, is the 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 sensei character has to show some character development. He has to show that he is somewhat different from what he was, you know, 30 years ago. So as long as they show that he's developed and he's come on... Johnny? Uh, you mean Johnny, that is, yeah? Your friend's Johnny? No, 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 sensei. His sensei, John Kreese. Oh, I, I thought you meant Johnny as a sensei, as as the sensei no, no, of no, no, Cobra Kai, or the, John Kreese. The original, right. the, the yeah. original sensei, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. okay. I, I hope they show some character development in him, and I'm sure they will. Um, if they don't, that that will be the first major wrong turn they can't have him just be a cardboard cut out bad guy and, and i'm sure they won't they the, the tv shows far seems far too intelligent to um to do that yeah i think so um yeah yeah um I mean, i'm looking forward to it again that we, we 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 don't know we, we don't know when we're getting it exactly but um you know that 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 seems to be the new thing original content uh, from streaming services seems to be incredibly popular right now. I mean, even Sky with their uh, sort of um, outdated uh, business model of of charging, you know, premium for Sky movies. You know, they're the first to show um, big Hollywood blockbusters on 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 TV, etc. That's dying to death because people have other ways to acquire big Hollywood blockbusters, and um, the likes of iTunes, etc., tend to. Um, have in terms of um, rentals, digital rentals uh, um, access to these blockbusters way before Sky so it's no longer worth paying for their service so even they are producing original content they've had things such as well they had they had that that movie what was it um, by the Fast and the Furious creator that hurricane heist movie in a weird way that was their money they produced that original content. It was exclusive to Sky Movies, but it did show in, in theatres for one weekend only. At the same time, it premiered on Sky Movies. They got a movie now with Dave Bautista, I think. Um, a football, oh gosh, what was it? Final score, some football-themed movie. I don't know much about it. That's set at the uh, the old West Ham football ground, the bowling ground, and I believe the bowling ground gets blown up. Um, oh, does it? So I actually, if I can get a copy of it at some point, I might watch that. Okay, but you see what I mean. I mean, it's the same thing. They put money into it. It actually shows at cinemas for one weekend only, but at the same time, it premieres on Sky Movies. I mean, that's their approach. And then obviously, you can get it on demand on via Sky Movies. So yeah, original content does seem to be king. Um, and that, yeah, that that just seems to be the way forward. Yeah, these these OTT um, providers, they've all realised now that content is really important. And that's good because, hypothetically speaking, consumers like me and you should be the winners there. But I am a little bit concerned about how watered down a lot of the content is, especially on Netflix. There's a lot of high budget um, content, um, but it's not really of the highest quality in terms of writing. So, I mean, a simple example is The Punisher. I was a fan of The Punisher um, comic as a kid. I was looking forward to the fact that there was a series. I watched one episode and I thought, this is not for me. You know, they miscast The Punisher. It was slow. It was drawn out. The writing was unoriginal. Similar thing to say about Stranger Things. 
it was, it was all style and nostalgia, no real uh, depth, no real content. And the, the sad thing is a lot of people seem to be getting duped into believing that these are great TV shows just because they've got a budget on them. So there's upsides and downsides to that. But um, it is amusing to see how, for example, a company like Sky, they're just going to have to be a lot more agile. You can't just rely on having the rights to Premier League football. Um, you're going to have to do more. They're certainly making more about the, the now TV service. And as you say, producing original um, cinematic uh, content, which concurrently premieres at the theatre as well as on their platforms, the home entertainment platforms. It's, it's interesting to see that the... They've had to go that way. Um, but yeah, I mean, they must wake up. Rupert Murdoch, Murdoch must literally wake up every morning thanking his lucky stars for Premier League football. Um, and, and people who say that the Premier League's overhyped and Premier League footballers get paid too much, they really don't. Because Premier League football is the absolute cornerstone for what Sky is. Without it, Sky would be nothing. That's that, that. That's absolutely true. But um, he, he, I mean, even that's coming to an end because um, you know Sky and um, they they don't show enough Premier League games for the money that they charge subscribers. Um, you have got um, the likes of BT. Um, BT are showing games, and it BT Sports, for example, isn't part of the the standard Sky Sports subscription service. You have to go above, you know, you have to pay extra for that. Amazon, I believe, are going to get in um, with uh, Premier League Football in terms of their prime service. I think what their plan, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, their plan is to have several days, so several, several Saturdays uh, throughout the year, um, just a few of them, but several Saturdays where they will have access to every single game and you essentially choose what club, you know, you, I don't know if that's going to be a Saturday. It might be midweek. It might be like a Wednesday night where there's seven or eight matches and you can literally No, watch. no, I've heard, I've heard it's a Saturday. I heard, I've heard they will have like three or four Saturdays throughout the year and you have access to everything on that Saturday. If Just that Saturday true, only. I, I hadn't heard it was a Saturday. I thought it was a midweek. You might be right. Okay. But you're certainly, okay. certainly it's going... Sky is certainly scared stiff about the possibility of a monster like Amazon. Get, I mean, Amazon already owned rights to US Open Tennis. And if they were to get serious about Premier football, then Sky's goose would be cooked. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And and, and again, I'll point, I've said it before, I'll say it again. Our friends in the United States, they get more, ironically enough, they get more Premier League football than we do. They literally, I mean, every single game literally is at their disposal. And and certainly on a Saturday. Same goes for the Middle East, yeah. Yeah, the Middle East too. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Asia, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, but we digress. <laughs> and um, I wanted to. I'm I'm going to segue now onto because all roads do lead to Star Wars. I want to talk about Star Wars. Um, now I haven't to this day seen Solo, a Star Wars story. Did you manage to watch it? I haven't. Um... I've been waiting for it to be to become available, which and I think it will become available in a in a week or two. Imminently, yeah. Um, and then I'm I'm waiting for someone to get a hold of it, and then I might just watch it at a, at a friend's house. I'm I'm not motivated myself to pay for it. I've heard it's actually not a bad film, but, um, but even Darth Maul didn't convince me to. Yeah, watch looking Solo. Yeah. forward to watching it, but. Um, I've been a little bit detached from Star Wars, not particularly interested in Episode Nine. 
Um, I mean, they've started shooting episode nine. We've had a few teaser tweets from, I mean, JJ Abrams is directing. We had a few teaser tweets. Not that I particularly care. We've seen some um, some shots from on set. We've seen Poe and we've seen Finn and we've seen nothing else particularly interesting. Um, what is interesting about episode nine are the rumors again that we will have involved. Well, first of all, apparently Luke is returning as a ghost. Okay, great. Bring back Mark Hamill. Um, but what's more interesting is that we will see somehow Anakin Skywalker. And I do wonder if Hayden Christensen is returning. I mean, I did wonder, I mean, obviously he would have to, he's Anakin, but um, I did wonder if he was returning because when they involved him um, with Star Wars Celebration, that was strange because normally they tried to distance themselves with the prequels, but they actually invited him. You know, they invited him for a panel discussion. So that was interesting. Um, so the rumours are that Anakin will be involved somehow, Anakin, Darth Vader. Um, that Obi-Wan Kenobi, they're trying to woo um, Ewan McGregor, who is actually keen, funnily enough, to be involved. And J.J. Abrams wants to tie everything together and to have a strong link uh, with this trilogy, uh, with, 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 uh, sorry, with the original trilogy and the prequel trilogy. That's what that's I've heard. All, that's all really well and good, and I'm glad, but it's I'm too sorry. Late. It's too little too late, isn't it? The cat's out of the bag. Yeah, it's way too late. And and I mean, at least there seems to be a realization at a corporate level that even though it's too late, at least they know the rumors that Kathy Kennedy and Ryan Johnson have already been in their marching orders is not going to be made public for a while. That that partnering here. Well, let's talk about um, that. Uh, let's talk about that. Finish, finish what well, you're going to say, and we'll talk about it afterwards. No, uh, that that was actually literally it. I was going to say it was quite amusing the other day. I believe. Someone tweeted Ryan Johnson and said, are you still working on your trilogy? Uh, he was obviously given the keys to Star Wars because he loved The Last Jedi so much. Uh, he was given the green light to make his own spin-off trilogy. And someone tweeted him asking him, are you, are you still working on it? He replied with a positive answer, yes. But the rumours are that he's been told it's not going to happen. And um, a lot of the decisions made by Cat Kennedy... Have been they've had the kibosh put on them, and um, they're going to try and salvage Star Wars. But you know that's all well and good, but it's too late. It's yeah. too late. They've, they've absolutely ruined it. They've dragged it through the mud. The only way, in my mind, that they could fix it for, for a fan like me is if they complete if they remade the sequel trilogy. Um, is Lucas's used, ideas, yeah. Lucas's treatments, you know, by all means, cast um, Daisy Ridley. Um, as the as the main female lead, uh, you'll have to recast Leia, of course. Uh, I don't think they'll be able to get Harrison Ford back, but they should try and and just and just go again, seriously, and just try and wipe these three films: Force Awakens, Last Jedi, and whatever Episode Nine is going to be. Just try and wipe them from the slate. That's not going to happen. That would be the only thing I'd be happy with. It, it's 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 been ruined. Well, I I mean I've heard rumours that. They have um, gone back to George Lucas saying, oh, please, we need your help. Um, help us, George Lucas, your only hope. Um, give us some ideas how we can salvage the mess that was The Last Jedi and turn Star Wars around. Um, but I want to talk quickly about this. Uh, these rumours uh, that Kathleen Kennedy has secretly already been fired um, from Lucasfilm, from helping Lucasfilm. Um, and 
Brian Johnson's involvement has been terminated in terms of this apparent new trilogy, and that these the rumor the, these announcements cannot be made for some financial reason, I'm sure, until the end of this year. Now, this comes from a report from um, a lady, uh, Grace Randolph. She runs this vlog called Beyond the Trailer. She's got a lot of sources apparently in Hollywood and she sort of breaks a lot of exclusives through her, 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 her videos. I don't know if you're aware of her, but she reported that a uh, good old Bob Iger um, held a crisis meeting with all the, the top brass at Disney. We're talking uh, head of Pixar, head of Marvel, etc. Everyone was involved in this meeting apart from Kathleen Kennedy. And it was him. And this meeting was held after, solo a star wars story basically bombed at the box office now you got to understand that um although the last jedi didn't bomb at the box office it bombed in terms of everything else it bombed in terms of um you know dvds blu-ray um you know digital um, um downloads of, of 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 the film no one was interested it bombed in terms of merchandise and i think you've touched on that before bronson um, but he held a crisis. If you go into the toy shops, so sorry yeah. to interrupt. Yeah. If you go into any toy shop, you will see rows and racks of Last Jedi merchandise, in particular um, three and three quarter inch figures of uh, Rose Tico, God bless her. Yep. Um, one of the worst characters in the history of the franchise. And you will just see racks and rows of it. And you will see a line around in the bargain bin. And it breaks my heart. Yeah, it's sad because you would expect that from Star Wars, um, and and that's very true. You can you can see that going to any toy shop, you'll see it now. They're all in the bargain bin. Uh, these these Last Jedi toys, and um, yeah. So I I I, Christ, I think um, uh, Solo flopping at the box office was the final straw. Bob Iger held a crisis meeting and basically said, "What the hell can we do? What can we do to fix this?" Now we don't know what came out of that meeting. Um, we suspect the decision was made then after that to um oust kathleen kennedy and we will hear about it hear something i'm sure at the end of the year um but it seems like they're in panic mode and i don't think jj uh, abrams can turn this around um maybe that's where if, if we go if we play devil's advocate and go with this rumor that they did rush to george lucas for help and he is somehow helping behind the scenes helping them salvage this current Star Wars trilogy, maybe that was a decision that was made out of this this crisis meeting. I don't know. Um, he is a large, large because of his deal um, selling um, uh, Lucasfilm. He is a large shareholder in Disney now. I think he's the second largest after the um, the the wife of Steve Jobs, who um, became the largest because of Pixar or like I you know what maybe he bought Pixar didn't he off um, George Lucas at the time. He's, no, sorry, no. Bought off Disney. Is that right? I'm getting mixed up now. Yeah, he he bought. Um, he he owned Pixar because he bought it off Lucasfilm, and he bought it for a song because at the time Lucas was desperate for money because he was going through a divorce, wasn't he, with Marsha Lucas? Yes, and and, and then he sold it to Disney. Uh, he sold it to Disney, and and and, yeah. and he got a lot of stock. That's how it worked. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, I mean, it looks like it, it's a complete mess. Um, and because it seems like it's a bit a complete mess behind the scenes, I don't think there's really much to look forward to at all with episode nine. Yeah. And, and you, you, you summed it all up there. And it's um, 
I mean, Star Wars supposed to be the Rolls Royce of merchandise, not just in terms of toys, but adult collectibles. And there was always a real high level of quality control. Even back in the day when you were buying a VHS, the, the quality of the film, the way it was transferred onto the VHS, the print and the process that they'd used to do it, it always used to be of the utmost highest quality compared to, to other studios, other distributors, other brands. And the toys always used to have a high level of quality. And that pretty much ended with the, uh, the Force Awakens. I mean, I think the first figure from the Force Awakens was Constable Zuvio, <laughs> which, um, which hit uh, toy shelves. And I, I know people who've uh, watched uh, the Force Awakens half a dozen times, and they still don't know who Constable Zuvio is. Um, it, was cut. Or, or, it was cut from the film. Pretty much. I think he's, he's sort of in it for about half a second in one of the flashbacks. Um, and that just kind of sums it up. I think that character, his profile and the uh, card he was on and all that, it was all produced in an attempt to pull on the nostalgia strings of um, fans of the original trilogy. This whole thing has just been ill-conceived from, from day one. And um, it, it would be nice if they can they're obviously doing damage limitation now but then where star wars goes after that hopefully it goes in a much more kind of uh, i don't know what's the right way to put it in a direction where purists fans like us will be a little bit more satisfied with with what they're doing they're telling us the characters I'll tell you something else, and I, I pointed this out to you actually in a conversation. I, I, I think I texted you two weeks ago. The Last Jedi was such a traumatic experience for me. I, I haven't watched it again. Right. I watched it once at the cinema, and as I said, and we talked about it at length on this podcast. I actually, for the first time in my life, I had a physical reaction to a film where I was, my body was actually starting to physically struggle because the film was so bad, and. And I, that's not me exaggerating. It's not supposed to be a joke. Um, I really, really reacted that way because it was my heart was breaking. Watching it was that bad, so I've avoided it. It's recently been showing on cable um, TV, and I was channel surfing and I came across it. And what struck me about it was that it was actually worse. It was worse when I was watching it on TV than it had appeared to be at the cinema. It was worse. Yeah, yeah, I had, yeah. I had the same experience. It, it, I, I, I couldn't even, I couldn't even watch it for any longer than ten minutes. It was terrible. It's unwatchable, and do you know what? Not only is it conceived badly, but when a, when a director gets a setup all ready and he gets his actors on set and everyone's ready, action. They do the take, cut. They might do the take three or four times, they might do it 10 times, they might do it 15 times, or if you're Charlie Chaplin or, or Stanley Kubrick, you might do it 150 times. I'm guessing Ryan Johnson did six takes, seven takes, whatever, and then they move on. And then he obviously, this is the way filmmaking works, you pick the best take that represents your idea of what you want that scene to be, or that shot to be, and you use the best take. The actual takes that have been used, and knit together scenes that we've watched, they're so amateurish in the way they're acted and put together. I suddenly came to the realization, this guy, Ryan Johnson, he's actually pretty much like an amateur filmmaker. Yeah. He's just got lucky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think um, 
there's a lot of conspiracy theories that Ryan Johnson, you know, secretly held hated Star Wars, or he, there are things that he he didn't like about the original trilogy, and and he did his best to sort of um, tear it apart and, and and destroy it with with what the decisions he made, particularly about Luke Skywalker in the Last Jedi. And I don't buy any of those at all. I just think he was the wrong guy for the job. I think I just think he's an incompetent filmmaker. I don't. I mean, I, I haven't seen much of his other stuff, but I just think he was the wrong guy. That's all. Yeah. Yes. It, it, it looks like I don't know what's happened, no how he's got himself into the position where he's got himself directing a Star Wars movie. But probably with Kathleen Kennedy. Oh, did I say that? No. Well, things that go on behind closed doors, you don't know. You know, if you're sleeping with the right person in any industry, or if you're doing the line of poker with someone, and you're on a big night out, and you become big friends with someone, and you get advanced in certain industries, and, and I'm goes. sure the the entertainment industry is no different. And listen, I'm I'm not going to go on this podcast and say that Ryan Johnson is immoral or he does any of those things, okay? But he's obviously been fortunate enough to get himself in a position of power within the film industry where he's been given the keys to Star Wars, not just this movie, The Last Jedi, but apparently for another trilogy. And he does not have the tools like within himself, not physically, I mean, in his head and his heart, he doesn't have the tools to do the job. And that's and why, that's why he, when he was asked that question, are you still, you know, is your trilogy still going to happen? He said, yes, because I don't think he's been told it's not. I don't think he can be told it's not until they get rid of, they formally get rid of Kathleen Kennedy. Yeah, I think there's just contractual things which are stopping happening yeah. right now. But I think for all intents and purposes, it's done. Yeah. 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 And he's, He's relatively low to the food chain where they've just said, well, let him keep going. We've got three members in our pre-production department working with him on conceptual ideas for his trilogy. And we'll, we'll give this guy his marching orders on this date because legally we can do it. It won't cost us anything. Yes, that's probably what's happened. I'll tell you what has been officially announced, though, uh, or two things. Uh, one is that the Star Wars side, side, Star Wars side story, so the whole a Star Wars story series, um, has been put on hold because of the performance of Solo at the box office. They had ideas, and they had wacky ideas about Boba Fett. They had ideas about... Um, I mean, the spin right? Yeah. The spin-off movies, you're talking Yeah, the spin-off movies. Um, they've all been put on hold apart from the Obi-Wan Kenobi one, apparently. That comes from the same source I was, I was talking, who, who broke the news about this crisis meeting. Okay, well, okay, yeah, I can believe that. But uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll probably find out again around the same time at the end of the year when they make these announcements. But um, the other one is uh, the animated uh, series Star Wars Resistance has been announced. Does that excite yeah, you? I, saw, I think I saw a trailer for that. Is, and, is, um, Dave, is Dave Filoni behind that one? Like, is Creative Rebels? So. Yeah, that's I okay then. Is, and I don't watch the Star Wars cartoons religiously anymore. Well, I've never watched them religiously, but... Um, I used to give a lot of respect and attention, for example, to Clone Wars, which was very good, and then Rebels was okay. This one looks like it's been done in the same spirit with similar sort of animation and effects, and it seems to have a decent budget to it. Um, it's not for me, but it's it looks like it's in the Star Wars spirit, if you like. And, um, the thing is, but I, I, I don't have any interest in that era of Star Wars. That's the thing. And it might be good, but, you know, the whole resistance... That's the fundamental truth, isn't it? I, I, I think Poe Dameron was in the trailer, wasn't he? And 
yeah, when I realised what era it was set in, and you know, the resistance is just the rebellion name, and and that's all ill conceived. Um, but it, it's probably going to be a pretty good cartoon, but yeah, it doesn't emotionally in terms of the characters. And, and in terms of also the style of the cartoon, none of those things interest me. But it looks like it's done in the proper spirit of Star Wars, and Dave Filoni seems to know what he's doing. So that's a step kind of in the right direction, is it? Oh, it's hilarious. It's, uh, you, you, say, you, resist, you say the resistance is um, the rebellion, just, 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 just not by name. And it's true. I mean, even Ryan Johnson, in- incompetent as he is, forgets that during his own movie where he, his characters refer to... The, the resistance as rebels in in, in several times. Um, oh, in Jedi, you mean? What's that? In in the Last Jedi, they yeah, in Last Jedi, yeah. You've got them calling them rebels. Oh, okay, I don't remember that. Oh well, uh, what's her name? Uh, Laura Dern. I forget what her character's called again. Godspeed. That's it. Holdo before she goes in a kamikaze uh, yeah mission. Godspeed rebels. Okay, and even um, uh, the, the, the Finn refers. You know, tongue in cheek when he's when he's sort of um, talking to um, oh gosh, what's the other one called? The stormtrooper. Um, Phasma. Phasma. Yeah. I'm. I'm honestly, my me- my mind slipped. I'm. I'm not. I'm not taking the mick. I could not remember the names of those characters. Maybe I'm just hungry. Yeah, not I don't a know. Thing. Captain Phasma. Yeah. You know, I'm rebel. Rebel scum. I mean, they're not the rebels because actually the rebels in this new hokey Star Wars universe that they've created are actually the first order they're the actual rebels because let's it's not forget that yeah supposed to be, but, um, but we know for... so little about the new republic the new republic is so insignificant that it's all a blur yeah and apparently the resistance of uh, the lot the down to the last couple of hundred members aren't they by the end of that film it's absolutely ridiculous yeah so anyway oh yeah so lando's coming back we know that that's been announced officially isn't it billy Lee williams will, will return in episode nine that's one thing Mm, meh. Yeah, yeah. But they've got no choice, really. And then Carrie Fisher's involvement will be nothing but outtakes from uh, The Force Awakens. I don't know how well that's going to go. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, hopefully by the time we have the next podcast, we'll be talking about Solo. And I've got a feeling, like I've said with the other spin off movies, I've got a feeling I'll enjoy it. Ron Howard knows what he's doing. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm going to enjoy it the way I would do. I'd casually picked up a Star Wars comic book and I'd spent 40 minutes reading that or something and, and enjoying each cell and, 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 and not really investing too much in it, but sitting there and enjoying it anyway, Star Wars. That's how I'll watch Solo. So hopefully um, um, I'll, uh, I'll have good things to say about that in, in a couple of months or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was going to make a joke, but it's probably in poor taste. Um, you know, they got rid of Poochie in The Simpsons, the old title, Carlo. Poochie was, you know, the, Poochie, itchy and scratchy. You know, yeah. Yeah. yeah he, Poochie was killed on the way back to his home planet, you know. But that's probably how they explain Leia, Leia's disappearance. It, it's, it's a bad joke. I won't make it. I kind of made it, but there we go. Let's move on. Um, Dave Filoni, actually, funnily enough, um, is one of the names that were mentioned in this crisis meeting, Bob Iger, in terms of who could actually save Star Wars creatively. But he doesn't have the business acumen. That was uh, Bob Iger's concern. He doesn't have the business acumen to helm Lucasfilm like Kathleen Kennedy did, which is probably true. But he's probably got to get someone to just get alongside them, someone who's who's got the nous from a business point of view. Yep. 
yeah, 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 possibly, possibly. Uh, but we shall see. Like I said, we're probably going to get a trailer or something, a teaser trailer or something soon. Probably get the official announcement after that, I guess. But you know, Star Wars, all all roads lead back to Star Wars. But I don't particularly care right now. It's sad. Yeah, it is. It is. But uh, like I said, I've almost not stopped caring, but uh, I've almost resigned myself to uh, the direction it's gone in. Godspeed, Godspeed, Star Wars. But anyway, um, what else have you been up to in the summer? What else have you seen? Whatever, what else has tickled your fancy a bit? Well, I won't go into too much depth on. Um, I mean, there's a few movies. I mean, Ant Man and the Wasp. I saw that. Um, I saw that last night. Yeah. In, well, there you go. Um, enjoyed it. Yeah, enjoyed it. It doesn't. Uh... Yeah. You know what? Right. I saw. I saw it last night, and I had a good time. I had a good time. It was. I don't think it's as good as the first one, and it's never going to be as epic as um, Infinity War. You know, you, you come from watching that, you see Ant Man and the Wasp afterwards, and yeah, it was all right. It wasn't great. It's, it's got enough charm and wit, and also a bit of heart in there. With uh, you know, when they find Michelle Pfeiffer and all that, that. Um... Uh, I enjoyed myself. I didn't feel ripped off. I didn't, um, in, in terms of where I put it with the other Marvel movies, it's uh, yeah somewhere in the middle. Um, and uh, they they very rarely sort of misstep. So um, the only thing that I would say is that I did note that all of the ethnic minorities in the film they're either comic relief. Or they are compromised in some way. I remember thinking that. I remember having that conversation with someone after I'd seen it at the cinema. Um, and and the white Anglo-Saxon Protestant American family, they're presented as the normal ones. Um, and you know, usually quite mindful of not... Um, perpetuating those kind of stereotypes but i did notice that where uh, virtually every ethnic minority any, anyone who wasn't a white anglo-saxon protestant american in it they they didn't come across as a normal person the bad or comic relief that i remember being a little bit disappointed by and i, I do you know what i had a similar feeling after i watched deadpool 2 um the other day which uh, i enjoyed that but the cab driver in it, I think his name is Pinder, he's an Indian guy. Yeah. He's a completely effeminate, silly, quirky, slightly idiotic comic relief. Um, so, 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 I mean, I've just mentioned Deadpool 2. There's some other film. That's I've another seen one. In the yeah. An intervening period since our last podcast. That was, again, a little bit like Ant-Man and the Wasp. I enjoyed it. It didn't have the freshness of the first one. It was never going to, but it was still... Do you know what? Actually, Deadpool 2 is a pretty good... It gives you money's worth. I'd, I'd recommend it. Um, but both of those films, just the racist undertones. Um, it's just a little bit disturbing. Hollywood is still in the same place where, where Mickey Rooney's playing the uh, the Japanese guy with the mousy face in Breakfast at Tiffany's, is it? Um, where he's the comic relief. <laughs> right, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, or, or Peter Sellers is playing the Indian guy at the party or whatever. Um, the Hollywood is, is still there. They still have really moved away from that stuff. And that's always the thing. 
when I see that stuff. So with Ant-Man and the Wasp, yeah, um, like I said, it was all right. Um, it, oh, the the post-credit scene where um where, where he's kind of lost in the quantum realm, where the others sort of turn to dust. That was that was a bit of a gut punch. I didn't expect. Well, did it, I was expecting a link, but it, it still like wow. Okay, so that was cool. That was a cool moment. That's probably it. Other than that, it was nice to see Michelle Pfeiffer in there. Um, it was nice to see her de-aged in in those flashback scenes. That that was that was kind of cool. I'm always yeah, fascinated with that. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm more curious to see that because purely just to see how far technology's moved on since the last time. Because literally every six months it does move on, doesn't it? Um, and to be fair to Michelle Pfeiffer, she's still looking not not too bad. To yeah. be honest with you. Yeah, and I'm not talking about in the de-aged scenes. I'm talking the normal scenes. The normal scenes, yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Um, but um, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't a bad movie. Um, but you know, what about Deadpool two? Have you seen that? No, I haven't seen Deadpool two. Um, in actual fact, I keep saying to myself, you know what, I'm going to watch it. I've got it. I can watch it. I've got it. But I just haven't had the time or the inclination to watch it. But maybe I should. Um, the you first should. the first one it's I good. liked. The first one I enjoyed. But the first one um, was one of those movies where I watched it once and I thought, oh, that's okay. Um, I, I'm not a big fan of it like uh, some of the other people are, uh, you know, when they've watched it repeatedly. Um, I have heard from other people, though, that the whole um, the, the, the whole humour and, you know, bait um, um, breaking the wall, that sort of thing, gets a bit tiresome in, um, in Deadpool 2. But I don't know. I haven't seen it, so I can't make any comments to that. I, I wouldn't say I felt it, it was tiresome, but certainly the freshness of it is not there. And if they are mm. going to make um, many sequels, and I think the plan is to do that, then I don't think they're going to retain that freshness. But it's got enough. I mean, I was a little bit concerned with the director of the original. Is it Tim Miller or something? Or yeah, um, and he he basically walked away from the project and they had creative differences with Ryan Reynolds. And I was a little bit concerned at that point. I thought, what are they going to do? Are they just going to botch this? Is it going to be like Ryan Reynolds ego running a mock on the film? And what are they going to do? But thankfully it's a good film. I wouldn't have watched either of them. Well, actually I was going to say, I wouldn't have watched either of them at the cinema. I did actually watch Ant-Man and the Wasp at the cinema. Um, Had I watched it on the small screen, I would have been okay. Great. You don't really need to watch it on the big screen, except for the great effects moments where they disappear into the quantum realm. Um, but Deadpool Two, I certainly felt like it's it, it, for me. It was one for the small screen, not, not one you need to see in, uh, at the cinema. Um, but it's got enough in it; you'll be happy. And the, the there's a lady in it. I think her name is Zazi Beats. I think that's her name. She plays Domino, uh, which is the um, the superhero who's basically her power is she's lucky and um she has got the potential to be a bit of a movie star actually she i think has she made her name in a tv series the name of which i forget now but she was in the tv series with is it donald glover the guy who plays lando and so yeah yeah Childish gambino <laughs> yeah what's the tv series called do, do you know um oh gosh i do know but the name escapes me right now okay well anyway i'd never seen her in anything before i saw her in this and she basically breezes into the film and just does her thing and she's got a lot of charisma and 
it was one of those moments where I, where I saw her and thought, oh, this, this woman could be a bit of a star. It's a little bit like when I saw Margot Robbie in uh, Wolf of Wall Street and you thought, wow, yeah, not only is she smoking hot, but she's, she's got charisma. And then, is it Atlanta? You know, is it that show? Is, isn't it? Yes. Atlanta. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes. Which I've never seen, by the way. Hmm. Um, but then, yeah, just... Um, and then I'd seen, obviously, Margot Robbie in Suicide Squad. She was the best thing in it. It's a terrible film, in my opinion. Um, sometimes when you see actors or actresses, and they've got genuine charisma, and you think, this could be a movie star. And, and I got that impression with, uh, say, I'm not sure I'm pronouncing this correctly, Zazie Beats, I think is her name. And, um, you know, she uh, she wants to look out for... Um, yeah, if, if anyone listening to this hasn't seen Deadpool 2, well, I'd recommend it. It's... Uh, it's a good diversion for a couple of hours. Cool. I mean, you, meant, you mentioned um, uh, Tim Miller, directed, obviously, the, um, the, the first Deadpool movie. Um, funnily enough, who, who is involved in the new Terminator movie that's come in, which James Cameron is involved with as a producer. And that's one of the other things that, one of the other stories that broke... That sort of broke in, in our absence in terms of last time we, from since last time we, we uh, recorded an episode. The new Terminator. Um, we have seen. Have we talked about this? We've seen Sarah Connor, Lyndall Ham- Lind- have- Linda Hamilton returned. I say Sarah Connor because you know Linda Hamilton. That's what we mean. And I don't think I've got your. Or certainly we've talked about it, but I don't think we've talked about it in an episode. Your opinion on that. Or where you or whether you're looking forward to that at all? I think we mentioned it, and we were we were generally positive. But yeah. then that that first official image was released. Um, yeah, I think the actress called is it Mackenzie Davis? Is that her name? She played a replicant, I think. Um, like she was a prostitute in Blade Runner 2046, was it twenty forty six? Was it twenty forty nine? Twenty forty nine. Right. Sorry, I'm going nuts. Um. So I think her name might be Mackenzie Davis or something. Apologies if I've got the name wrong. You're right. It's Mackenzie Davis. Right. And she was in that still, wasn't she, with another lady who recognised and also with Linda Hamilton. And the image has been mischievously dubbed by some fans as uh, uh, LGBT Terminator. Um, it's not what I was expecting or looking for from this new Terminator film. And I'm just now waiting for the quote from James Cameron to come out where he says, this is going to be great. I've seen the film, it's brilliant. I'm waiting for that quote because that, that will be confirmation for me that the film sucks. Well, he's really, um, he's really told us that it's going to be brilliant. He's really told, well, obviously he knows, he knows what it's going to be like. I mean, they haven't shot it yet. They haven't, they haven't finished the production of it yet, but he knows what it's about. And he's already told us to look, you know, to look forward to it. It's going to be great. So. Oh yeah. yeah I guess he said something like it's taken us a while to figure out whether we had more stories to tell in that universe. And we do. And here it is. And. Was, yeah, because was... this is not a one-off. Let's not forget. He's he's made it very clear that this leads on to the next generation. He even said that, used that phrase, didn't he? The next generation. And I thought, huh? Oh, Terminator? So, yeah, this is leading on to uh, a re... Not reboot of the franchise, but um, the, the, the next attitude, generation. Yeah. The attitude and the brutality of Terminator 2 and, and certainly of the original, um, the kind of cyberpunk darkness and 
the real kind of sense of hopelessness about what the future might be that those first two films gave us. Um, it just, that magic formula has not been repeated successfully by anybody. Um, and I was hoping that they were attempting to take it back into that kind of slightly darker kind of sci-fi realm with this new movie. And I can say this now, just judging by one still released by the studio, they won't be taking it back to that territory with this new movie or with this new series. Um, it kind of burst the bubble to the point where I've sort of slumped down in my seat. And I just thought, okay, well, we'll just, we'll just see what happens. But I know this is going to blow. Yeah, sadly, sadly, sadly. Have I, 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 I overreacted there? Um, I, I, I would say, yeah, it probably sounds like an overreaction, but you know what? You've got history on your side. Um, you know, it, it, it's probably true. As much as I'm hesitant to admit it, it's, you're probably right. It's probably that's probably the way it's going to be. But we'll return to that whenever this movie we see something from this movie rather than the still. You know, we'll, we'll, we we can discuss it a bit more. But you talked about James Cameron, and that actually reminds me about um, his uh, the story of science fiction. We've forgotten uh, we've forgotten about that sh- to talk about that show. But that's probably another episode. To be fair um yeah we can talk about that in another episode but something that's worth mentioning is what came to light about george lucas's proposed sequel trilogy for star wars yes the um, compan this was revealed in the um the companion book to uh, uh the story of science fiction do you want to talk a bit more about that yeah i um i can't remember the exact quote off the top of my head now, but Lucas basically said something about how the sequel trilogy was going to, the exposition was going to be about Luke having, in the intervening period between Return Jedi and Episode 7, having gone away to ancient Jedi temples and to have studied the religion closer and more uh, with, with more scrutiny than ever before, and that he had taken his studies and his analysis to a microbiological level, yep. and the uh, talking about the midichlorians and how manipulating the force and, and, and how everything he thought he knew about the force, he had to rethink and that it, it was going to go into a different arena because I think Lucas said something about how um, science fiction quite often looks at the macro side of events and of life, whereas there's a kind of subgenre science fiction which looks at the microbiological level yep. of um uh, sci-fi which i feel ridley scott in his alien movies has done um, with varying degrees of success but it was sad that predictably uh, some people in the mainstream media came out with such predictable articles like oh the midichlorians would have been back had lucas got his way thank god he didn't get to make episode seven eight and nine coming out with all this stupid stuff my reaction was absolutely my mind was blown i was like and i was so desperately sad that we'll never get to see those films because i think what we would have got is as usual three adventure thrill rides which is what star wars is but the backdrop would have been a study of the force that we have not seen before. And it's so tantalizing, isn't it? We know what he would have done, kind of, and we're never going to get it. 
And the other thing that he said, which just compounded my sadness, was I think Lucas said that when he was considering all this in the 70s, his idea was to, um, and I think he says this, that James Cameron said to him, George, you're talking about creation theory. You're talking about religion. And, and Lucas was like, well, basically, yeah, I was going to give my ideas about, in this universe, in the Star Wars universe, about how life was created, about how it's manipulated by the people who are really in charge of the force. And, and in order to go into that inner space, it would have been through microbiology. I just thought, oh, my God, this is incredible stuff. And we're never going to see it. And then he said, it makes it quite clear, well, you know, the, the fans have probably hated it, like they hated the Phantom Menace and all that sort of stuff. And, and, and I love the way uh, James Cameron just, just basically says, screw the fans. <laughs> you know, this is your thing. Who cares what they think? You know, he did, I'm paraphrasing quite heavily here, but he pretty much did respond in that vein, didn't he? Yeah, and I think, I, I think part of James Cameron's heart broke because he, he doesn't have many peers um, James Cameron, when it comes to sci-fi, certainly in movies, but George Lucas is one of them, and you really did get the sense that when there were certain people that James Cameron was talking to, and he was just sort of kind of giving them lip service for the the sake of his documentary, but there was other people that he was talking to. Lucas being one of them, he, he was hanging on Lucas's every word. He was actually hanging on Spielberg's every word as well. Um, he was hanging on Lucas's every last word. And um, I think he probably felt like, shit, we're never going to see that nine-movie saga complete the way it should have been um, from from the man who conceived it in the first place. Yeah, it, 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 it's, it's, it's sad. Um, you know, do you think that if you know whatever happens at disney and whatever happens to kathleen kennedy or, or rather that 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 when we say whatever happens to kathleen kennedy but you gotta remember she was george lucas's choice to um to run lucasfilm upon this retirement he he, he asked her well, he chose poorly well i think the problems are disney 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 was the problem and they allowed it to get out of control and Disney's eating a bit of humble pie now. But if Disney, once they get rid of Kathleen Kennedy, because they will, were to, with that humble pie, say, you know what, let's, we own this now, but we're quite happy for George Lucas to be involved one final time. Do you think he'd do it? If they um, asked him nicely. I think if they said to him, as per with the other six movies, you can do absolutely anything you want um you know final cut final say on everything pre-production period of as long as you like whatever lucas will probably have to dedicate about nine years of his life to minimum um i think the jury's out isn't it i don't know would he say yes or no it's he's in semi-retirement now he's busy with things he's got a new young daughter they're spending time with but then again, there must be a part of Lucas which must be thinking, yeah, let's get the band back together again. You know, Rob Coleman and John Knoll and John Williams and let's have one last hurrah. There must be a part of him that feels that way. So I don't know. I think it's up in the air. 50, I'd love to, I've already said in this, on this podcast I'd love to see it. But I, I don't think it will happen personally. I think he's probably just a little bit too old. 
Yeah, his, 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 yeah. Pri- his priorities are elsewhere, and, and yeah, I think I think that's done now. I, th- I think he's done with it. It's a shame, um, and uh, you know they can certainly. I mean, I think the most we'll get is Disney using some of his ideas, but I don't think we'll see his involvement. Actually, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Well, do you know what I, I mentioned? Uh, Cameron hanging on. Lucas's every word and hanging on Spielberg's every word. It might just be worth me mentioning. One of the things I've seen recently is the HBO documentary about Spielberg. Which I didn't even think existed until I uh, sort of happened to stumble across it and I watched it. And uh, really good documentary. I would recommend to our listeners if they're into um, Steven Spielberg's movies and who isn't to a certain degree uh, at the very least. And in the doco for the first time, I saw them interviewing his mum, his dad, his sisters. Oh, wow. Showing we haven't seen that before, have we? Yeah. Yeah, uh, never seen that. And uh, showing uh, home footage shot by, by Spielberg's dad and by Spielberg and, and also clips from his uh, movies he made when he was a kid. And also Spielberg admitting in interview that I was basically like a, a geek when I was growing up and I was this Jewish kid with a big nose and people used to pick on me and stuff and my escape was uh, making movies and um, that was that was my access into the world by making movies. He, he was more sort of open and vulnerable um, about it than uh, I'd ever seen it. I was like, wow, this is actually a definitive documentary and obviously fully official and authorised of Steven Spielberg. So um, any, anyone out there who fancies couple of hours of quality uh, documentary about about Hollywood, uh, I would heavily recommend it. I'm definitely going to look out for that one, actually. That's been a bit, that's been under the radar, hasn't it? That, that, that's been a little bit elusive. I've not heard anything about that, apart from when you've mentioned it. So I'm going to, I'm going to search for that one. Um, what else has there been? Yeah. Have you seen Black Klansman yet? Because that's something I want to talk about, but I realise we have probably have no time, so that will have to wait. Well, I haven't. Um, why don't you tell me what motivated you to want to speak about it? And then why don't we wait until the next podcast to talk about it at length? Because I can then maybe watch it in that interim time and give you back, back some of my yeah, ideas. I mean, what, what motivated me to watch it? Obviously, the, the premise is just crazy. True story. You know, a, a black... A, a, a black uh, police officer infiltrating the uh, NYPD, um, but just the buzz about it. Uh, it got a lot of buzz. I think it it it, it won the, uh, the the Grand Prix at Cannes, and and uh, and I haven't been. I mean, I, I I loved some of Spike Lee's earlier work, and I hadn't been a greatest fan of his later stuff. Um, but I heard that this one was definitely politically charged. There's a lot of I mean, it is. I've seen it now, uh, but that's what drew me to it. Um, and also, I um, yeah, just I just um, I I've heard a lot of positive things about the performances, and I can tell you now that it you know the performances are top notch. Um, Adam Driver is in it, Kylo Ren. <laughs> He's absolutely brilliant in it. He, he actually uh, shows his acting chops. I think in in this, and it impressed me. And um, We'll discuss it, I think, in another episode. There's lots to talk about. I will, I'll urge you to go and see it, and we'll talk offline about how you can see it. Uh, but, um, yeah, we'll save that one. You know, it just makes me wonder why 
that email that got leaked from Sony's servers when they got hacked by North Korea, where David Finch is talking with, I think, Amy Pascal, and they mentioned Adam Driver being cast in Star Wars Episode Seven, and David Fincher, I think, says it was, oh, what a bad idea. Yeah, this is something really, yeah. Something like that. He's, he, from what you're telling me, he's, he's given another good performance. He was one of the only really good things in The Last Jedi. I think he's a superb actor. He's a solid actor, yeah. Yeah, he deserves a lot more credit than he gets. Um, and I thought he was incredibly good in Black Clansman. Okay. Well, um, all right, I'm going to try and make a point of watching it at some point so that we can discuss it in the the next podcast but um what i wanted to ask you is uh, obviously a couple of days ago Bert reynolds passed away uh, any thoughts on Bert? uh Bert reynolds that's another thing that I, I i don't i don't think that was was um given as much attention as as, as it deserved really um he's one of those uh he's one of those legends i think um not because I don't think he was a particularly good actor, but he's one of those charismatic Hollywood presences that we we, we don't have many of those anymore. Um, and it's it's always sad news when we when we lose when we lose an icon, I think, and 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 that that's probably what it is loss of an icon. What do you think? Yeah, agree. I mean, uh, obviously, you go even further back a couple of weeks uh, when Aretha Franklin passed away. That was. Also very sad. Um, yeah. She was actually relatively young-ish still. Yeah, um, yeah. So that, that was particularly sad. But Bert lived a good life. I think he, he was 82 or something when he passed away. But obviously they've been wheeling out the usual facts about him in the mainstream media, that he was the biggest worldwide box office draw five years running in the 70s, um, and which is amazing considering the movies he was in and he played very sort of laconic, fun-loving, laid-back characters in laconic, laid-back, fun-loving movies, um, although the 70s is generally thought of as uh, um, that decade where Hollywood took a lot of chances and made a lot, a lot of dark movies, but obviously Smokey and the Bandit and, and Cannibal Run, stuff like that, they're certainly not edgy movies to any degree. Um, uh, yeah, and I, I just wanted to say, I'm a big fan of Smokey and the Bandit as a kid, actually. I remember watching it when I was only 10 or 11 years old, loving the movies. Cannibal Run's a bit of a classic. He's good in uh, Boogie Nights, although Boogie Nights itself, I think, is a slightly overrated film. But, um, yeah, rest in peace, Bert Reynolds. You know, he's a good, solid actor as well, I think, in uh, in Deliverance. You know, he plays a slightly different role, and he's actually got a slightly different look in that film. He doesn't have his moustache and his sort of sweat back here. He's kind of got clean-shaven and French crop um, in that film. Very good in, in that film. Very, very good film anyway, Deliverance, made by, uh, in my opinion probably one of the two best surviving English directors, uh, in, in my opinion. So I would say Ridley Scott and John Borman, probably the two best English directors who are still alive. Yeah, still there, yeah. Mm-hmm. So kudos um, uh, for, for the work he did on that. But yeah, rest in peace, uh, but, uh, rest in peace, Aretha Franklin. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, for sure. And um, actually, there's a couple of I'd actually written written down a couple of things that I'd watched in the intervening period. Uh, no need for big discussion on these, but just worth mentioning. I watched uh, there's a couple of Batman cartoons actually. So anyone who is a Batman fan, I watched uh, Batman Ninja, which is uh, a feature-length animation done in, in a very sort of anime style. 
a very hit and miss film, but worth watching just for the quality of the animation. It's mind-blowing animation, the, the story and the twists and turns. What, not... what, what is the story about, just briefly? What, what is the premise of that one? It's one of those where what would Batman be like if he was in feudal era Japan? And at the start of the film, very briefly, you see him transported through time. Um, and he ends up in a Japan where his um, adversaries have already landed years before him and they've set up bases, so the Joker and the, uh, the Penguin, for example, and he has to do battle with them. It's got some. So is he Japanese in this? No, 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 no. He's, he's Bruce Wayne. He's American. Okay, so it's Bruce Wayne. Yeah, okay. They, they're just displaced and they're, right. they're basically picked up and put into feudal Japan from 150 years, 200 years back or whatever. And the Joker's well, in it? Yeah, the Joker's in it. Yeah, he's got a massive part in it. And is it Mark Hamill of... doing the voice? No, no, it's not. Um, but whoever it was doing the voice is it, pretty good anyway. It's, it's, it's worth a watch. It's, um, it kind of completely runs aground in the last 15 to 20 minutes of the film in terms of the plotting. But um, for, for an hour, it's really good. Uh, as I said, the, the animation's unbelievable. Uh, some of the action sequences in it are, are, are brilliant. It's worth watching. And then also, um, I just got an appetite for Batman cartoons because if our listeners don't know, Warner Brothers quite prolifically produce cartoons based on the Justice League and on Batman and Superman. Uh, and they have been doing so for more than 10 years. And they're, they're really well put together most of the time, really worth watching. Um, so after I watched uh, Batman Ninja, I thought I'd uh, maybe give... Uh, Gotham in Gaslight try. Um, I know someone has got a copy of that on DVD uh, or Blu-ray, I should say. Uh, Gotham in Gaslight is another um, what-if graphic novel where Batman's um, a detective in Victorian-era Gotham and he's actually hunting Jack the Ripper. I don't know if you've heard of this graphic novel or cartoon before. That sounds absolutely um, awesome. I haven't heard of that. It sounds awesome. Yeah, it sounds awesome. It it was disappointing when I watched it. That's um, a shame. That could have been all sorts of awesome. Well, Ripperology itself is a subject, and there are people out there who spend a lot of time and even money investigating Jack the Ripper, even now, and trying to find out, like, getting to the bottom of the case. The idea of Batman as a detective in Victoria-era Gotham trying to hunt down Jack the Ripper using... Method, scientific methodology of the time that premise is not played up enough in my opinion they kind of um botched it a little bit it's still diverting so does he what... solve the mystery i mean obviously the mystery was never solved but do, do they do, 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 do they allow some yeah. sort of creative license for batman to solve things or he, uh, he solved the mystery and the um the, the whodunit aspect of it is, is a disappointment. Um, they also go down the road of presenting the Ripper as a guy with a cape and a top hat. Um, which oh, is obviously... so, so did you say he does or he doesn't solve the mystery? No, he, he does. So who's the Ripper? <laughs> Just in case someone here wants to... I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you who the, the, the Ripper is. So if anyone doesn't want to know, if you just uh, skip forward 15 seconds, um, the Ripper turns out to be... Uh, Commissioner Gordon. So, ah. um, so um, the whole image of Jack the Ripper with the top hat and the the cane and the, the cape walking through foggy London—that is almost certainly 
um, derived from the Hitchcock movie, The Lodger, um, where you have that imagery in there. The truth is that the, the Ripper murders started, um, certainly the, the, the canonical ones started, I think, in August back in whatever it was, uh, 1892 or whatever it was, 1888. I can't remember the exact um, year. I'm not a Ripperologist, but um, it, it, it was a sweltering hot summer at the time and my personal belief of who the ripper might have been it wouldn't have been a guy in a top hat with a cake and a cane so i was hoping the cartoon was going to go down the road of really exploring ripperology and having it so that the ripper who's already been active in london has now popped up in gotham and that batman has to catch him i was hoping that's what the, the plot would be because i hadn't read the graphic novel the, right. the, 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 the what if graphic novel um, but they don't do that. They just basically have it so that a guy's going around murdering women and um, he calls himself Jack the Ripper because of the letters that he's sending to the Gotham PD. Um, and they, it's just not written well enough. But um, and, and also Batman keeps getting beaten up, which I didn't like. He doesn't have enough hero moments in it. You know what I think they should um, do? I think they should do this again. I think they should take this idea, this premise, and do it again. And I think they should... Um, buy into all the uh, the conspiracy theories that surrounds the identity of Jack the Ripper, get all those players involved, and then have Batman yeah. actually solve the mystery in terms That's of which the conspiracy fields theories holds up the strongest. Maybe use the actual evidence we have. That's along the lines of what, what I'm saying. Yes, yes, I, I agree with you, but... Um... Vincent van Gogh. <laughs> well, who knows? Um, a lot of people don't think it's Van Gogh. They think it's an English artist, don't they? Called Walter Sickert. But anyway, that's a whole different subject. Uh, and that could be a pod. That could be a podcast that could last for hours. But uh, Gotham Gaslight is what it's called. If you fancy a diversion for an hour and twenty minutes, it's it's worth watching. It's it's disappointing, but it's certainly worn. And the Warner Brothers Batman cartoons are generally uh, quite good of course it, it's it, all of those cartoons are kind of taking their cues from the batman animated series from the 90s which was one of the last great saturday morning cartoons um before they uh, they sort of uh, disappeared um obviously in the 80s we were very very lucky we had a glut of great saturday morning cartoons um we didn't realize how lucky we were at the time with Mask and Transformers and He-Man and all those properties. And actually, that, that just allows me to segue into something because another thing that I watched recently is the G.I. Joe cartoon. Now, I'm pretty certain you're not a fan of G.I. Joe, or as it was called in the UK, Action Force. I don't think you're a fan of that at all. No, are you? not at all, not at all. I remember it, obviously. Okay. Child of the 80s, but no. Yeah, well, okay, which, which is good. So I, I um, cut a long story short, the Transformers TV series, which was done by Marvel and, and Sunbow Entertainment, uh, the kind of sister series of that was G.I. Joe. It was done by the same writers, the same animators, and obviously the toy line produced by the same company, Hasbro. And it was a pretty, pretty good cartoon. And I remember, because it didn't come on TV in the UK in the 80s, I remember we had to go and rent out uh, video cassettes <laughs> to watch action and we watched a dozen or so Action Force cartoons and made copies of them and still have them lying somewhere, the VHS copies. Um, so I'd always known that uh, the cartoon in America obviously is called G.I. Joe because of the, the legacy of the toy line, which which I think was born in the 50s, if I'm not too mistaken. 
and and from in the 50s 60s and 70s gi joe was a quite a large figure it was uh, you know about the size of a barbie doll and and they weren't called dolls by the way they were called action figures of course mm-hmm. but then post star wars hasbro realized the potential lucrative nature of selling vehicles that you and play sets that you could put the toys into so that's when they turned gi joe into three and three quarter inch and it became huge throughout the 80s and i started watching on this famous website and and i can't say i endorse it but i'll mention it because it deserves respect this famous website called daily motion which allows you to stream things which i'm sure a lot of people are familiar with yes we are just randomly so i started randomly watching a couple of episodes of gi joe and it's Absolutely. You know, the best way to describe it is pure joy. Absolute and utter joy. And I thought, this is brilliant. So I actually, and they're only 22 minutes each, and I actually happened to sit down and start watching them. It was a Saturday morning, and I had my cereal, and I put these on, and I was like, okay, I'm having a flashback to the 80s here. This is great. And I watched a, a bunch of these back-to-back. And over the... Um, subsequent weeks i just couldn't get enough of it i i, I probably watched about 60 or 70 episodes of gi joe it's absolutely brilliant if there's anyone out there who fancies a shot of 80s nostalgia where you've got 80s references and sort of the the, the animation which was kind of done in what i call the marvel style where it's kind of realistic it's not too stylized nowadays a lot of animation is heavily stylized back then it wasn't so much if anyone fancies that, and then obviously there might be the temptation to then go onto eBay and start buying G.I. Joe merchandise and toys. Uh, Don't and, then, do and then you've got a problem there. Yeah. Then you've got a massive problem. Don't do that. But it's um, it, it's heavily recommended. Um, I, I, I've probably mentioned on this podcast before, around about 86, 87, Hasbro um, pulled the trigger on funding producing three movies from their biggest toy lines my little pony transformers and gi joe um my little pony and transformers flopped at the cinema um relatively speaking they didn't make the big money that hasbro were hoping and because of that the gi joe movie which is also really really good excellent animation they instead of releasing it theatrically i believe in the u.s they split it up into five or six separate episodes which they aired on uh network tv at 5 p.m for kids coming home from school um on subsequent evenings so monday tuesday wednesday thursday friday through a whole week um gi joe movie as well if you if you want to again if you just want to wallow in 80s nostalgia really worth a watch it's a a really good cartoon so that's uh that's also something that i that i watched which um sort of kept me going after the football season finished and after the World, the World Cup had finished, I needed something to A kind to of watch. brief moment of downtime, yeah. yeah. So the G.I. Joe the cartoon, so you've done a bit of work to find them, and obviously anyone who's a little bit tech savvy, you know where to find these things. But I am surprised that, you know, some of the streaming services have officially got a lot of these 80s cartoons ready, you know, ready to stream on demand. I'm surprised it's not on any of those, like a Netflix or something like that. Well, it, it might be. I haven't browsed the likes of Netflix for a while. Um, they might. Be. I know that in the US, you can pretty much stream like the Ghostbusters and Mask and Transformers and stuff like that on Netflix in the US, if I'm not too mistaken. Ah, it might but be on Netflix, prob- actually. I've just done a quick Google. It might very well be on Netflix, G.I. Joe. Yeah. 
it might well be. The sad thing about G.I. Joe is, and, and listeners might remember the two recent movies starring people like Sienna Miller and Channing Tatum, that they made two movies and the movies weren't quite as lucrative as um, the studio wanted them to be. Again, funny enough, I think it might have been Paramount <laughs> that, that bet the farm on uh, G.I. Joe movies. They didn't quite make the money they wanted. Um, and as a toy line, I mean, you go into the shops now or, or you, you look for adult collectibles. I think you can still see Transformers to a certain extent, Masters of the Universe. My Little Pony's certainly still around. Barbie's still around. G.I. Joe's almost disappeared completely. And, um, you know, there's a lot of speculation as to why that might be. But it's, it's sad because G.I. Joe, and as, as I say, in this country, it was called Action Force. Quite quite huge. Really. I was going to say big. It was huge in the 80s and, and, and the early 90s. But it's, it's almost disappearing without trace and that's sad because there's a lot of possibilities in in the premise so i hope it does come back successfully maybe i don't fancy chances but maybe <laughs> oh we've been through a lot haven't we bronson there's been so much going on so much to talk about and it's been an absolute pleasure so thank you bronson thank you for that oh, thank you very much and, and the last thing i will say is uh, just a, a lighter moment if you will. Uh, I've uh, recounted anecdotes in the past of when I've had my mind blown by something. <laughs> um, if, you, if you remember, the, I mentioned the, uh, the entomology of the, the Morton Cooper character. Oh, Bowser, Coop, yep, um, yep. Bowser's, um, Coop, the Cooplins. Absolutely. Right. Won't go into that. And our listeners can look that up on a previous podcast. I also mentioned Battle Beasts, the fact that it the old toy from the 80s, Battle Beasts, came from Transformers. That was a mind-blown moment. I actually had my mind blown a few weeks ago when I, when I realized that a, uh, a game, a, uh, a video game, which I used to play on my old Sony Ericsson phone in 2002. I spent some time out in America back then, a number of months, in fact, and I got completely addicted. I had this routine where where quite often after dinner I'd sit there for about half an hour, 45 minutes, and I would play a game on my Sony Ericsson phone called Erix. Okay. I don't know if you remember this game. Basically, it's a game where you can build walls in a room and you have to do it while avoiding like a, an electrical fuse. And if the fuse hits your wall as you're making it, you get destroyed. Anyway, I became addicted to this game and I thought, this is great. You know, I wonder why they, uh, why they haven't... Uh, I haven't heard of this before. Anyway, fast forward 15 odd years now. There's only, <laughs> it's only recently I discovered that Erix was basically a ripoff of Quix. Yeah. Or I think it might be pronounced that, as... No, no, I know that game. I didn't know the other is, one, but I know that one. Yeah, it's a classic. Quix. Is it pronounced Kix or Quix? I think it's, I always know it's Quix, but then it might just be the child of me mispronouncing it. Yeah, like, it's, I, it's yeah. spelled Q-I-X. There's yeah. no U in it. So I think it might be pronounced Kix. Might be Kix. Okay, so Erix is basically kicks. Mind blown. Because I remember seeing uh, kicks on sale in Toys R Us or whatever as, as the NES game you know, back in the day, whatever. Might even have come out on the SNES. I remember seeing it in the catalogues and everything. Kicks. I, I always wondered. I remember on Game what... Boy. Right, yeah, I think you might have had it back in yeah. the day on Game Boy. I never did. I never did. I never had it. It was one of those games where. The packaging, you know how video game packaging in the 80s used to be like really kind of attractive and interesting and cartoony? Yeah. And I wondered because of the uh, 
the the way it was drawn, what Kicks was all about, and I thought, oh, I guess I'll never know. I can't even bother to go and find out. I'm not a retro gamer. It turns out I pretty much did have an era where I played it quite a lot as uh, as Erix. So uh, yeah, as I say, mind blown. <laughs> there we go. That's the fact of it. In fact, we should we should make this a thing. So we'll, next time we get together and we've got a lot more to discuss, we'll have another mind blowing moment at the end. How about that? We'll make it a thing. Sound good? Yeah. Let's make it a series. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. 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 Well, thank you again, Bronson. And thank you, everyone, for listening. That was quite an exhaustive episode. But uh, like I said, we had our summer break. We had a lot to discuss. And we are back now. So stay tuned. So if you want to know how to subscribe, you can find information on our website, which is intersectioncast.com. If you've got any questions, any feedback, any suggestions, or anything like that, you want to get in contact at all, drop us an email. Our email address is feedback at intersectioncast.com. You can use that same email address to drop us a Skype voicemail. If social media is your thing, our Facebook page is facebook.com slash intersectioncast. And if you want to follow information about new episodes on Twitter, our Twitter account is at Let's Intersect. Thank you again, Bronson. And I'm Jonathan Wildman signing off another episode of Intersection. And until the next time, that's a wrap. The intersection. intersection.